Today, the numbers up as we chart a course through economics and currency affairs. We'll pique your interest in finding out why the government rates a surplus and find out how the economy will bounce after being thrown an inverted yield curveball. That's this week's Democracy Sausage. Welcome to Democracy Sausage with me, Mark Kenny, and of course, each week, Maria Tafliger from the uh, School of Politics and International Relations, from which I also come. And this week, we're, uh, I think, having a particularly economic focus. I'm very glad to uh, welcome Peter Martin to our tiny studio here at the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU. How are you, Peter? Very good to and be with you, you, Mark, Maria? and to be back with you. Yes, we, well, that, we used a, to work a very opposite good... each other at the Sydney Morning Herald. It's uh, a family reunion. With Maria. It, it is. In fact, I was just thinking that. This is a sort of an ex-Fairfax uh, uh, Cabal. Panel. Yeah, Cabal. <laughs> uh, all of us used to work uh, up there in the uh, Well, they, to the be fair, are also ex-News Corporation in, in your Yeah, but I mean, t- together we were all there. And um, as you say, Peter, we used to... Uh, have just a small divider between us, uh, our desks, and uh, you talk too loud on the phone. And uh, um, <laughs> but there's not much between us now, except a bunch guilty. Of, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and look, it's really great to have you here. Of course, in these uh, days, you're the you're a visiting fellow here at uh, the Crawford School of Public Policy, and you're also the economics editor for the Conversation. Fantastic uh, uh, innovation that is, uh, and I'm glad to say. Well, we've both written for it. We haven't both we? have. Yes. Uh, so it's um, it's a really great uh, publication, and going from strength to strength. Um, what I think, obviously, it's it's great to have you here because we can talk about economics, particularly, and uh, that's always an interesting subject, but also a, a fairly dense one at times. And I think you're known as one of the uh, the great sort of deconstructors or explainers of, of economics going around. So um, let's start, Peter, if we can, with all of this discussion that was occurring last week and the um, – you know the tumult on uh, on equity markets around the world, particularly here and in the US, uh, on the back of this thing called the inverted yield curve. It's like ten days that shook the world, actually, because it's been about ten days since that tweet. That was Trump. He tweeted that, um, "Well, I just think I'll impose a tariff on everything else that comes in from China." Right now, mm. that set off a reverberation that. Uh, uh, 10 days later led to the, yes, you mentioned it, the inverted yield curve. <laughs> so uh, let, let's uh, let's uh, sort of uh, uh, take it through the steps. So the US doesn't have tariffs, right? Um, just as we don't, right? Well, on the whole, lets goods in from overseas, not a problem. Um, Trump had imposed tariffs on a lot of goods from China. He then announced he'd imposed tariffs on the rest, 10% tariffs, although he's, he's since backed down. But uh, it's a bit like uh, you know having uh, lit a, a firecracker sort of saying, oh, I didn't really mean to, uh, to light that. He now says they won't come in for a while. So um, China then did something... Uh, you see, when you're as big as China, you only need to do something little to really unnerve people. It had been maintaining its currency at a particular rate, 7 yuan to the US dollar, or rather ensuring that uh, the Chinese currency was never worth less than that. And can I just interrupt you there? Because a beef for a long time from the US has been that the Chinese currency has been undervalued. Undervalued. And indeed, that, that used to be true. And it, that's not unusual, by the way. Um, 
developing countries, China used to be a developing country, um, indeed the IMF used to advise them to devalue their currencies so they could sell more things. China used to do that, hasn't done that for a while, uh, partly because it's been worried about US retaliation. Now, what it did, indeed, it's been holding the line at 7 yuan. That line has not been crossed. It just allowed it to inch across, just allowed its currency to devalue a bit. And the US said, oh, no, currency manipulated. In fact, all it did was for a day or two stop manipulating the currency. Yeah, because to actually uh, keep that uh, ratio of 7 yuan to the American dollar, it's basically had to be intervening in the market. China's had to yeah. be intervening in the currency market and buying its own currency. Yep, that's right. And it stopped doing that and uh, we're still uh, – um, well, It would have been selling its own currency, I suppose. Oh, I always get confused. Can I tell you a uh, – um, an anecdote that Peter Costello told me, which he's probably retold lots of times, former treasurer. He said he, he uh, asked the Reserve Bank, you know, when you adjust interest rates in Australia, um, what do you do? And they said, oh, these days we just announce we're adjusting it and the market falls in line. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you had to, what would you do? And one of them said, well, we'd sell government bills. And then I went, no, we'd buy them. <laughs> I think it was at that point he lost complete confidence well, I, I in the department. I feel the same way about the, the inverted yield curve, actually. Indeed. So Tell us what that is just before we go too much further. Well, the inverted yield curve has followed from a complete lack of confidence uh, that, because people think, oh, no, trade war, currency war. Now, Trump says anyone can win a trade war or a trade war is about restricting trade. And in a sense, no one can win unless it's a self-sufficient country. I mean, we certainly couldn't win because, it's truth, what do we make here? You know, I mean, uh, um, uh, barriers. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't make cars. We we don't make most of the things anymore. Um, and the things that we do make, we make in a cycle with other countries. So we grow cotton that's sent to Indonesia, turned into cloth, sent back here. The bonds factory makes it into singlets, but if the singlet has a pocket on them, they send it to China to have the pocket sewn on. So um, we, like most of the world, are, are intermeshed in a, a, a trade There's war. such things as a pocket on a singlet. I, uh, so the bonds I, people I told that was me. Apocryphal. You know, they used to say something's as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike or a pocket on a singlet. Now, you're it's, telling me they actually exist? It's to keep your pens. I, you know. I would not wear one. Now, now, a currency war is sort of the same. You know, everyone says, oh, well, um, you know, if, if our currency is cheaper than everyone else's, then they'll buy our products and we won't buy them from overseas. And if everyone does that, you, you also end up with no trade. So because of the uncertainty, basically businesses just stopped investing. Now, they weren't investing much in the US beforehand. They certainly weren't investing much here. Um that has led to an inverted yield curve. Now, the um, yield on a government bond, the interest they, they need to pay to, to raise money, normally goes up over time. So a 30-year bond, they probably pay a bit more interest uh, than a 10-year bond, a bit more interest per year than a five-year, than a two-year. You see it yourself, in, indeed, uh, when I was a child. Do you remember we'd, we'd have government bonds? You'd, yeah. you'd go and buy them uh, yourself. And, uh, and, and the, the, theory... the longer your money was locked away, the, the more you demanded from yeah, it. So, that's so the, the normal order of that's things. That's right, because you'd actually es essentially forfeited access to that money for that time. So the trade-off was you got a better yield or a better return. Until now, um, what has happened in Australia and in the US is the yield curve uh, for five years 
to lock your money away from for five years, you actually uh, now uh, businesses uh, or investors are demanding less return than they would to lock it away for one. That is highly unusual. For for ten years, it's still more, and thirty years, it's still more. That is highly unusual. So unusual that it's happened seven times in the last uh, since since the seventies. On each occasion, it's been followed by a recession. On each occasion, it is the most reliable indicator of a recession. And the, the so reason, when the bond yield inverts like that, uh, it, you know, it's a pretty good sign, all other things being yeah. equal, whether they are or not, we'll come to in a sec, but all other things being equal, that we're headed for a recession. But it doesn't happen straight away, does it? No, and the uh, sort of sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's 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 a year or two later. But the the thinking on the part of business is, look, uh, I might be prepared to employ people just now. You know, I might be prepared to use this money productively just now. But in five years, I don't see any way I can make anything. So I'll lock my money away, even if I lose money doing it, because we've got inflation in Australia. And this is shocking right now. I looked up the figures Monday morning. Right now, our government uh, borrows a 10-year bond. Uh, It pays 0.89%, less than 1%. Now, think about that. An Australian with money thinks it's more worthwhile getting less than 1% for 10 years than actually engaging in commerce when the inflation rate is 1.6%. That is, they are prepared to lose money for 10 years rather than take a chance in Australia. Yeah. And it's the same in the US. And you can kind of see why um, people are concerned about this because it's actually it inverted all of, the, all of the sort of normal assumptions about what we think should happen. So, so I guess this sort of um, leads us to some questions from our listeners, Peter, um, and we got uh, some from... Liam Hughes and, and Mark Zanker, and they're basically asking us about why is the government so focused on the surplus? And given what you've sort of said about this inverted yield curve, like, should we be looking to do something else with all of this potential borrowing capacity that we could have at this time? Oh, yes. Just think, um, the rate on a 30-year, and now we, we borrow for 30-year, is also low, right? It's also just a percent or two. The government could borrow for 30 years for almost nothing, um, you know, uh, after inflation and uh, fund a very fast railway, um, you know, between, uh, you know, Brisbane to Melbourne. It could do that. Um, Now, of course, the railway would need to make money um, eventually, and that's the problem. But money for a government is almost free. Indeed, and this is the case in in Germany, um, uh, uh, the, the interest rate is actually negative. That is, uh, investors have got money. They don't know what to do with it. They're worried about anything which involves risk. They say, well, we'll give it to the government. You'll look after it for 10 years or for 30 years and we'll pay you to do it, right? Mm. Uh, like those bank accounts you've got that charge so much in fees that uh, y- you end up not getting anything. Or those so, multiple super accounts that some people have that uh, you know they're losing money on fees. Really. Consol- consolidate your super listeners. Yes, yes. this is good <laughs> advice. So, so, so the government is yes, it could use that money. This actually helps the government surplus immediately because uh, it it can uh, it doesn't need to pay as much interest on uh, on the money it's borrowed but what it signals for the economy is that it's going to need to spend 
Now, will there be a surplus? The government has forecast a surplus of seven million uh, billion billion, next year, right? Um, uh, This year, a small deficit. It's looking as if, uh, this is a a newsflash, you can get back to me uh, next month, it's in September. It's looking as if the budget for the financial year that's just finished will actually be a surplus. They didn't forecast a surplus, but it'll be. That's because um, the iron ore price has been going very high. And that's because of that. The Trump uh, explosion. Yeah, in Brazil. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, uh, Adam, we don't we, we, we just put a list, little asterisk and uh, refer to Brazil. We don't tell people that the reason the Australian budget is doing well is because a dam wall collapsed. Um, killing all these people. Killing people and uh, that uh, a whole lot of vinyl projects were put on hold. So this year we've just had might well be a surplus. Beyond that, it is highly Unlikely. The iron ore price, which was... Yeah, it's tumbling now, isn't it? Because yes, it's tumbling. So, that so, mine's come back online. It, all those it, mines, it, yeah. That's right. Um, the, the good news for Brazil is not good news for the Australian budget. And the government will need to spend money because business isn't. This idea I learned at university that uh, government spending or government investment in projects crowds out private investment. <laughs> well, it's true in some circumstances perhaps, but it's certainly not true now. There just isn't private investment. That's why the Reserve Bank governor is saying to the, to the government, spend on infrastructure. Wasn't that really an argument that sort of pertained a lot more strongly back in the days when we did have a, a, a you know much greater mix of public investment in the economy? So we had uh, you know, public transport and uh, Utilities, you know, airlines, yeah. uh, all kinds of yeah, banks. Yeah, all and kinds it's definitionally true yeah. in Australia because Australia, unlike the US, has only a few businesses in each sector. So two airlines, right? Yeah. Now, definitionally, if the government owns, we're only ever going to have two airlines. We only ever have, well, you know, uh, one of them collapsed. Another one came along. Two seems to be the magic number, just as it is for retail chains, just as it is for everything else in this um excuse for an economy uh, or excuse for a competitive economy uh, we have. You know, the only exception is the banks, where there are four. Um, uh, Obviously, yeah, uh, and that's only because legislation keeps them at four. Mm. Um, Obviously, if the government owns one of those airlines, a private person won't. So in in that sense, there's uh, yeah, this so that, that, that's out. why it made a lot of sense back then, but we have transformed the economy quite and, a lot and since then. what's happening now is that businesses, indeed, um, Qantas used to be private um, mm. when it was the Queensland and Northern Territory Airways Service. It was taken over by the government because private people weren't prepared to spend the money to invest to make it, uh, you know, of a reasonable size. And we're, we're in that situation again where businesses are not investing because they're worried about the future. So the government can actually get them investing by crowding in, that is to say, by spending big uh, and, hey, you need a cement contractor, you know, for all, all the roads that are being built in Melbourne and, yeah. and Sydney and so on. So um, that's why that's needed. Everyone thinks it's needed, but uh, it's going to hurt the uh, budget surplus for what that's worth. Well, is it going to hurt? I mean, infrastructure is off book, right? So it's Oh, hurt. no, it's no. Gonna... It's mainly on book. There, there are some weird accounting things that are off book. The uh, national Broadcasting Loss Maker is one of them because it's on the books on the uh, the, the National Broadband Network on, uh, on the understanding the NBN will eventually make money, which it isn't looking like it will. Um, but um, that's if you have a corporate structure. Usually, the the, uh, uh, the government investment in roads and so on is uh, is uh, is on 
on the budget. They're grants to states. They yeah. had the surplus. Yeah. Okay. So that's true. But the point is, there's. The, the, I mean, it's really going to. If we're talking about taking advantage of, you know, going back to Maria's question, talking about taking advantage of cheap money, very low uh, interest rates at the moment, um, that's going to affect the, uh, the the indebtedness of the Commonwealth to a considerable degree. Which isn't a problem as long as interest rates remain as low as they precisely. are. I'd like indebtedness point. at that rate. I know, but we have high levels of indebtedness compared to what we used to have. I mean, this government said it was going to halve public debt, I believe, and it's more like doubled it. Mm. Yeah, but um, you know, not high compared to other countries. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, isn't uh, the big sort of elephant in the room is the reality that it's private debt, right? That is the big worry in our economy. Oh, I think we could do with a bit more, actually. You really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're talking about household debt. People, yeah. 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 Um, household indebtedness. You know, like we're obsessed with public debt and the surplus. Mm, um, the thing is. The thing is that oh, real estate's a, a sort of interesting case. Uh, it's interesting because people are just crazy about real estate. Um, the, the, the more general situation is that households um, and uh, not businesses so much, but households naturally save. Now, households save because it's worthwhile for me saving. Because if I save, uh, don't spend all I earn, something bad might happen down the future, right? Might lose my job, might have an accident, you know. So everyone does precautionary saving. But if everyone does that, it means that um, the the resources in the economy won't be properly used because everyone's saving, which is why you really need the government to come in and you actually need the government to run permanent deficits, which, by the way, it has done for uh, – nearly all of its life. Uh, it's been in deficit. Housing is a special case because it, it, it's not that housing is uh, that people are crazy about housing. It's that they're crazy about location. So um, you get um, definitionally uh, the good suburbs um, only have so much room in them. And as we've got richer, uh, government tax concessions have, uh, have helped uh, the capital gains and so on. But as we've got richer... We've uh, funneled more of that money into those kind of houses, and, and that's had a, a trickle down effect, you know, all the way down. Uh, not as much, of course, but all the way down to the edges of cities. So there's something funny about our psychology. I mean, Australians are an awful lot richer than they have been, but being richer, they actually want to spend it on houses. Now, I can't. It's stupid. Because you know they're not making more of them. It's I mean, they're not making more mate. of those yeah, suburbs. It's unproductive. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's that's a, a quirk in psychology. And I, I guess the thing you can say about that is, um, you know, if people want to be stupid, good luck to them. And uh, <laughs> other 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 people can uh, can live in uh, Campbelltown in uh, New South Wales fairly happily. Oh, you uh, heard it you here know, first. Get in at three quarters of an hour on the train. But yeah. speaking of another sort of flaw in national psychology, like this obsession with the budget, like, I mean, politically, I understand it. Like the prime minister literally promised the budget for next year, this year. And I don't know if you guys recall that rather tortured interview he did with Lee Sales, where they just went around the mulberry bush again and again and again, until he finally admitted that the surplus that he had promised that they were <laughs> back in the black is actually we have delivered a surplus and not next current. year. Precisely, That's precisely. Is, yeah. Which is why people hate politics, right? And politicians. Well, well, they have heard it all before. I mean, was Wayne Swan's famous line, <laughs> oh. you know, "The three surpluses I, I announced tonight," or yeah, something? Yeah. The, the, the coalition made a great deal out of the fact that he wasn't able to deliver any of those surpluses, and. It's an interesting point you raise, Maria, because this is this is sort of the intersection of politics and economics. Um, 
and and sort of I suppose the kind of popular perceptions of of the, the validities in these economic sort of claims and arguments. But essentially, this government wants to be the first government to deliver a surplus since whatever it is, uh, you know, since... Uh, oh, the Castelli years, yeah? Yeah, since the Castelli yeah. years, right? Yeah. So since 2006, I guess. Yeah. Um, there was a surplus in 2007, I believe. Yeah, that yeah was, which yeah. was actually half a Labor surplus, half a Castelli yeah, surplus, yeah, but who's but, counting? But, but, but essentially, <laughs> Labor came in... And it wasn't long before that, you know, the, the first the members of the GFC were happening and, and really there was, you know, a lot of things that happened. The global so, financial crisis uh, it can't be said to have been Labor's fault. They were lumbered with it as soon as they came in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But nonetheless, the government's made this big thing. The current government made this big thing about being the, the only party that delivers surpluses here. And so it is welded, absolutely committed to this surplus that, that you mentioned before, mm-hmm. Peter, $7 billion next year. Um, the interesting question, Maria, is... You know, this is obviously a political decision as much as it is an economic one or a political argument. And we know that the economy is soft. We know there's a whole lot of hostility in the global economy. Um, what do you reckon is worse? Uh, not delivering on that surplus in order to do a bit of uh, stimulatory spending, a bit of, you know, sort of growth uh, uh, inspiring kind of activity by the government, or the possibility of becoming the first government that in 28 years presides over a recession if in fact we were to you know dip below uh, dip into negative growth for two consecutive quarters yeah i mean i i mean i i understand the political logic of why the government is sort of insisting and wedded to this surplus i mean i think it's sort of um a sort of kind of silly, like surely you should play the game or the field that you're actually on rather than some sort of fantasy that you kind of want. And uh, I mean, if you're if you're literally weighing up the potential of, you know, being able to deliver a sur- surplus, but then having the problem of having rising unemployment or a recession, like surely that's kind of stupid to be blunt. But I don't really see the but government. It's a gamble, isn't it? I mean, it is a gamble. They, yeah. they, they, they probably don't think that's where it's going. No, probably not. Well, I know. think they're increasingly worried. But Maria, mm-hmm. I have a theory. Tell me your and tell me your theory, yeah. uh, Mark, as well. Um, I have a theory that um, any party in government faced with a downturn will, will throw it, the kitchen sink. They'll throw everything uh, uh, to stop it. But I have a theory that. Just because they're the coalition, they can get away with it more than Labor. Uh, Labor, by the I way, agree. was thanked at I the agree. time by business. It was only later that uh, you know all the people started complaining when it was safe again, <laughs> yes. when we'd avoided recession. People said, oh, Labor was profligate. But I think the coalition is sort of, I don't understand it, inculcated. Uh, the, the, the public uh, find it hard to believe uh, rightly, by the way, uh, that the coalition will be economically irresponsible, but find it very easy to believe that Labor would. I think it's because Labor is the party of, you know, social uh, spending and social welfare and all of those kinds of things. And the, the the coalition has been the natural party of government in this country for decades and um, have generally presided over, broadly speaking, good economic times. And they just they just assert it all the time. They assert that they are good with money, and um, you know, and they and they they governed through a once in a century mining boom, right? Like you know, and, if, and if, during which they were not good with money at all. No, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That's right. I mean, if you actually look at um, you know 
know, a graph of Australia's sort of economic um, position over, you know, 150 years, like you see this enormous spike just before the 1890s crash. And then you'll see another huge one, which was the mining boom we all just lived through. And I think we spent most of that money on cars, which is which is wonderful because they depreciate as soon as they, and they leave anymore. the lot. And we don't make them anymore. <laughs> but, you know, you're, I think you're right. Like, I think the coalition can get away with this stuff in a way that Labor can't. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, like beyond what I've said. Like, I just think the coalition, they're just more brazen in the way they sort of assert, um, you know, their credentials, whereas Labor's always umming and ahhing and sort of we have to convince the people. Labor seems to apologise for itself. Oh, they do, they do. You know, and I also think with the GFC. Oh, yeah, we saved the economy yeah. in the GFC, but, yeah, well, oh, we're yeah, sorry no, about no, that. No, I'd be better next time. Yeah. yeah, but I think that's right. But I think the problem is that it, 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 it's, it sort of feels lame, but it isn't. I mean, this is an important point, really. Uh, no one really sort of spends their life in, you know, undying gratitude to the scientists and doctors who inoculated them from yeah. whatever disease they didn't get. Uh, because they had those inoculations when they were a child, you know. I didn't get polio, so I never stopped mm. talking about it. It just doesn't happen like that. That's not our psychology. And what <clears throat> what uh, Swan and Rudd did was they acted very, very quickly. They took, in a sense, quite big political risks as well as, you know, it's, it's never unpopular throwing money at voters, right? So there was a certain upside to it in the short term. But nonetheless, they knew they were throwing away a kind of a, a, Capital, an important Labor legacy. Yes, yeah, some yeah. political capital. Uh, they, they, they'd they come in and they were going to be this big corrective that actually showed that Labor could manage money and they were faced with the GFC. And I think what they were able to do was uh, help in Australia avoiding going into recession. We, we avoided intergenerational unemployment. We avoid, avoided well, lots of Well, they showed they could manage money. They, they, <laughs> they averted all of this stuff. But, but let me finish yeah. because I think, the, yeah, that's true. But the point is that once it had passed, what did we have? We had the bill. And the bill, you know, as anyone knows, again, human psychology, right? You've had the benefit yep. some time ago. Now you've got the bill and you start looking, and, you know, which in this case was, uh, you know, a string of deficits and, uh, and, and an ongoing political argument oh, about what whether you to spend too it? much. Yeah. And I think it's arguably the case that they did spend too much. But if you were going to err, you needed That's to err right. that you, way. Exactly. You can say that there were two stimulus packages. Uh, and by the way, uh, we should uh, – Bear in mind that what the coalition has delivered is a stimulus package of, of similar uh, magnitude. But they but, won't admit it. No, well, they call it, see, it's a tax cut. Mm. Uh, it, it, see, they can send $1,080 to uh, each taxpayer uh, in a certain income range and say, oh, you know, please spend this, and it's a tax cut. But Labor spent $800 to each uh, household or person, actually, in, in an income range, and um, <clears throat> they go, oh, well, it's not a tax cut, but we want you to spend it. Well, so um, by classifying something as tax cut, they can get away with it. But, um, you know, hope, politically, more, hopefully. Yeah. But um, Especially over the long term. The Labor's second one, probably in retrospect, Mark, you're right. Labor's second one, probably in retrospect, wasn't needed. But no one, no one who was standing in Labor's shoes would have felt confident enough to mm. say that. And, and, I mean, what's the point of, um, you know, spending – um, heaps of money to still kill the bird, right? To still kill the economy. You may as well overspend, <laughs> right? It's it's better to 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 do that, you know. Um, of course, the, the greater truth, by the way, is that it it was a stimulus package that saved Australia, and it was the stimulus package in China. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was right, yeah. right. So, so <laughs> stimulus works. Yeah. So what they did was to say, okay, uh, 
we're suddenly going to build cities. We don't even know if we'll need them. You know, they weren't all full for well, a long time. Back. And we need steel. Let's come back to this issue of China. We'll take a, a quick break and come back and talk about China and a few other aspects of uh, politics and economics. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. All right, well, let's come back and talk about this issue of China because uh, you made the point, Peter, before the break that uh, there was a stimulus package that worked and it was <laughs> it was that which was instituted in China. Is there any chance that China is going to do the same thing again? I mean, this seems to be uh, a bit of a, 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 um, a theory going around at the moment that if this trade war and this currency war and the hostilities and then the headwinds, as, uh, as policymakers call them, in the global economy worsen and we do see significant recession – perhaps if China's in danger of going below that magical 6%, that the Chinese will start stimulating. And if they do, being a supplier of steel and other commodities to the to China, Australia will actually benefit. There is that argument, and I, I'm emotionally not, intellectually not thrilled with that argument because it sort of says, oh, well, we'll get something out of something sort of... Uh, really bad happening. Well, it seems a bit wishful thinking. Yeah, also, also, I it's mean... like being a funeral it, director, isn't it? Although, <laughs> although China's got so many people, they, they can keep doing it, but they're bringing, they've already brought a lot of people um, in from the country. It's commonly thought that uh, Australian iron ore is used to make products that Chinese sell. That's not really what happens. It, it's used to make buildings yep. that, uh, because um, I don't know if you've ever bought a Chinese product, but... They don't have much steel in them, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, my phone doesn't have much in it. Um, So, uh, yes, they could do that. Uh, The real – I think China's focus will be elsewhere. Neither China nor Trump wants this trade war to escalate um, We've been hearing Trump, that for a while, though, and it's well, sort yeah, of but Trump's escalated. already backed down, right? He's, he's because among speaking of uh, Chinese goods, uh, among the things that he imposed tariffs on were for the first time were electronics and toys, and he's postponed those tariffs so that they'll come in. I think it's on the sixteenth of the December. It's a December date, so that they won't affect importers importing stuff for Christmas. Uh. So the so the US uh, uh, customers will, will still get the good prices. So. Um, Trump, it must be said, has a history of speaking loudly and backing down, um, you know, on, on on many things, and you know we, we can be grateful for that. Um, China, um, China is different to other countries because China is the world. Okay, I mean China's one fifth of the world. So you know, in Australia, we use the argument about global warming. Oh well, we're not contributing much, and uh, therefore we're in the hands of other countries. Well, in China, and that's why they're they're drastically cutting their imports of thermal coal, the coal used for uh, electricity. Um, China knows that it it basically is the world. That is to say, it can uh, itself affect through pollution, the lives of its own citizens. Now, um, 
it is so big that if it knows that if it has uh, puts up tariffs or, or you know manipulates the currency, which as we said it, it hasn't done, but if it puts up tariffs and does things to um, ban trade from other people, uh, other countries, it is Chinese who will suffer, and the government is it's sort of like an Australian government on steroids in that um, oddly uh, for a country which is not democratic, the legitimacy of its leaders depends totally on living standards uh, for the people. So long as living standards are okay, so long as they're increasing, people are not going to mind the fact that it's the Chinese government uh, and and that it's uh, treating dissidents very badly. If that, or, you know, whole groups of people very badly, that they're not going to mind. Um, that so that that compact is, if you like, stronger in China than anywhere else. So it is in its interests for it not to uh, escalate into something. Uh, it's in Trump's interests which, as well, in a way. Which which goes really to my point, though. It is in its interests to maintain that compact, as you say. I mean, it's not exactly a you know the model democracy we're talking about here, but there is this very strong link between the Politics support and legitimacy actually of works Xi Jinping's. <laughs> Administration and rising living standards, you know, protecting living standards and 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 prom- the promise of improvement. Uh, therefore, that issue of growth going down becomes a major preoccupation for Xi Jinping. But I think they're bigger. So I agree with you. I just said I found it a distasteful argument that mm. you know we could sell some steel. Um, uh, I think their bigger priority is actually on stopping escalation. China needs trade, and well, that, it's, that, that's yeah. their big thing. So, so you know, while they might want to, uh, you know, they, they're very good at flexing their muscles. You remember a, a year back, they uh, they just delayed some Australian exports for a while when there was something yeah, they didn't was, like. Yeah. They're very yeah. good at doing that, just sending a signal, and uh, deniably, oh, you know, like they denied the currency thing. They said, oh, well, you know. Wasn't us, you know. <laughs> um, yes, but, it was never but clear exactly what was going on messages. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about Hong Kong? I mean, this is uh, an interesting thing, Maria. We've we, this is uh, last night. There was uh, another major protest. They've been going for ten weeks now. I think they're not showing any signs. No, of I think they're away. getting bigger. Actually, well, that's one yeah. of the and they're spreading to Melbourne. Uh, the, we're, we're, well, we're having yeah. anti-democracy protests in. in, in yes, Melbourne. that's right, and and on Australian campuses. Yeah. But is this um, is this a threat to China's growth? Uh, is this the? I mean, this is a big challenge to Beijing. What the Hong Kongers are doing, it's pretty hard to see it ending in a good way for Hong Kongers. I mean, the the sort of die is cast here. Uh, it, I do think it is getting increasingly unpredictable. Um, you know, like the the situation sort of move past the sort of. Round where you could kind of sort of say, well, you know, they made their point. There might be a concession here, which is actually, you know, very dangerous um, for for all of those citizens. But I guess, you know, um, Hong Kong citizens have decided that they have more to lose by at least not making this stand. Um, but how it all ends, like, I, I well, don't, well, Trump, I don't know. Trump said that uh, he he thought they could sort this out in fifteen minutes if uh, if Xi Jinping was to talk to the protesters. Um. Trump says a lot of things, you know. Um, <laughs> he does, uh, doesn't he? Yeah, and I mean, and I think some of them he just says for effect. Um, but um, you know, what uh, do you think the message he's sending though? There is he is he trying? To, I mean, let's let's 
take it as, as, as best possible interpretation that he's trying to send a message to China perhaps about having a conversation for a start. I mean, he seems to be suggesting that Xi Jinping rather than Carrie Lam, the, 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 um, whatever she is, the general manager of the administration in Hong Kong, uh, that, that Xi Jinping should take over direct negotiations. The, as we know, the extradition bill itself has already been parked, already been supposedly scotched, but, um, uh, Hong Kongers aren't satisfied with that and they can see the direction of all these things. Um, is that, the answer, do you think, for, for, for Beijing to hold direct negotiations and perhaps make some sort of material concession? And is that even really conceivable? Oh, that's a fascinating question, Mark. I mean, I think Carrie Lam's position is obviously like untenable because she's completely lost control of the situation. Um, I do not pretend to be able to read the tea leaves inside the, um, inside the Chinese Communist Party. Um, but you know, I mean, I think I think it is kind of clear that the eyes of the world are all on uh, China, and um, you know, I, I I don't know if it's going to end in violence, um, like you know, states like this have in the past, or you know, if they'll come to some kind of accommodation. But if they do, if, you know, if they do that, if Beijing chooses to to sort of go the accommodation route, you know, well, what on what terms is it, and how does that affect? You know what's sort of happening in sort of Taiwan at the same mm, time. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's so hard to imagine China backing down, but it's also pretty hard to imagine any other way of this ending that isn't either a show of, a, you know, a real escalation of force, which would not be good, or, or a kind of a complete capitulation by Hong Kongers. And uh, I, you know, that's given their steely results so far. That's happen. pretty hard yeah. to imagine yeah. as well. Speaking of China. Uh, we had the Pacific Islands Forum last week. China was the big sort of elephant in the room, not present, of course, at PIF, but, um, you know. PIF, this is a technical term, <laughs> Pacific <laughs> Islands Forum, right? Yes, correct. Uh, not present there, but uh, in Max a sense, the, you know, the big the big story, really. And Australia's step up is now starting to look a bit like a stuff up as a result of, um, you know, the, some of the aggravation there. What, what did you make of it, Peter? Why do we do it? Why do we insist, you know, it was that we insisted that there not be reference to coal in the communique. Why do we do this? You know, I, I hear stories of foreign ministers, uh, you know, giving instructions. The delegation will not vote for this unless there are such and such words in. But, you know, the prime minister was there. He could have thought, well, all right, you want to put this in. But um, no, we are indeed as wedded to coal, to use a really tortured thing, mm. as China is to there being one China. China yeah. It's sort of just our, our mantra. And we have, like, we spent all this money, step up in the Pacific, very we much. We reallocated it, right? Uh, well, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, from foreign aid money that was going to other places. Uh, sorry, India. Sorry, Africa. Um, so we did that um, to, to counter Chinese influence. Now, um, we have a very good position in the Pacific sort of uh, hearts and minds-wise, largely because of Radio Australia, I, I guess, yeah. um, whereas um, uh, China is seen to be crudely buying things. So it, it, it uh, And it's not it, an insider it, geographically, we are. Yeah, and it, but it, it's been recently buying things, you know, for the elites, um, things which, which uh, look after politicians in China. It doesn't play very well. Um, uh, it, it bought, was it, uh, which country was it? It was 
Tuvalu, one of those. It bought laptops for all of the MPs, and we, we wrote about this in the uh, in the, the Sydney Morning Herald. And after I wrote about it, I thought, Strutha, I hope they've tried to debug them. <laughs> anyway, any, any, anyway well, of course, Australia is uh, not above bugging either. But uh, we have a better reputation. We've spent all of this money, albeit reallocated, and then um, we sort of destroy it like that. And now China is coming in and saying, oh, well, you know, we're not a member of the forum, but uh, if we were, subtext, we would have let you include words about coal in there. And as I said, although people will say China is a big polluter and so on, it is massively cutting its, uh, its use of coal. Indeed, if you look at thermal coal, a thermal coal, the coal that's used for heating, uh, there's other coal that's used for iron ore. Um, it, it's going down. Uh, the 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 use of it is going down everywhere but India, um, and uh, basically uh, Australia's uh, newest mine, the uh, Adani Carmichael mine, is in serious trouble. If if India joins the rest of the but world, but we we know. I've just looked at the graphs. It's straight down for China. Well, we know why governments resist this sort of stuff because they become benchmarks which they can be criticised on, right? And they don't want to make any. They want to make any of these concessions, and the reason why they don't want to make any of these concessions and they don't have anything else to offer. It's communicate. It yeah, yeah, mean yeah. But anything. no, no. I, I, I think <laughs> they. I think they. 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 They do in a the sense. Statement it's of. Just, Principles. Yes, but they're grains of sand that, you know, that all kind of add up, right? Like, uh, you know, to the classic example of this is um, I think it was Brezhnev who signed the Human Rights Helsinki Accord, mm. thinking it wouldn't matter. <laughs> and, you know, and this, these, these, these are, these are important kinds of gestures that people then use to hold their government's account. I mean, like, how seriously does the current government take the Paris Agreement? Not very, but it's something that we constantly whack mm. them over the head with that they're failing to do. And I guess this is a similar kind of thing, which is why they don't want to mm. do it and why they spend so much energy on it. But the real kind of elephant in the room, to my mind, is they don't have a credible policy on climate change. They've got no bargaining chips, you know, and and any kind of finessing points to get out of this kind of awkwardness around mm. coal. Because what is the pathway for Australia's clean energy future? It's not apparent. Oh, we'll, we'll be fine. But the, uh, you know, I think the, the decarbonisation of electricity is happening well, quite I think private, rapidly. And, the and private sector and individuals are doing it. But, you, but, you but this is the gun. problem, Peter. This is the problem. Uh, and I think Maria's right here. They're, they're, you're right. That, that process is happening and coal will eventually be sort of bludgeoned out of the marketplace. Because it's uncompetitive, the, because ultimately. Because it's uncompetitive. Oh, and the plans and really what, what I think Indeed. Australia should have been doing at PIF would have been, you know, as you were suggesting, to accept that coal would be mentioned in the communique and just perhaps changed, maybe been a bit more nuanced about the way it was described. Mm. In other words, some sort of accommodation of those Pacific Island leaders, if it was worth spending five hundred million extra dollars there, and you know, really emphasising this step up with all the additional, um, you know, uh, military assets that are, you know, in some cases deployed uh, in, uh, you know, diplomatic um, offices open and so forth. If all of this is worth doing, then so is getting the diplomacy right. And it struck me that they. Uh, Australia got the diplomacy wrong because essentially the problem was you had a new prime minister, most famous in the region, for brandishing a large piece of coal in parliament as if it was this great thing of the future. On an island that is literally sinking under the waves. I mean... the, the, The prime minister really needed to find a way of articulating... From where he was to where he needs to be. And I, uh, you know, as I say, I think it went from step up to stuff up. Hey, do we agree on this? 
I think I think we do. Well, I think we do, and oh it's on that note God. we'll probably have to wrap up. We've been going for some time. I think I feel like we could just keep talking forever, but um, well, let's have um, a coffee. I'd love to talk about superannuation with Peter Martin because we used to have some pretty spirited yeah, arguments across about, the cubicle. We used yeah, to we had some questions about wage growth too, but we'll have to have to hold them for another time. All right. Yes, let's do that. Well, thanks very much, Maria Taflaga, and thank you, Peter Martin, for coming on this episode of Democracy Sausage. I'm Mark Kenny, of course, and uh, if you want to uh, contact us, you can get to us at. Policy Forum on Twitter. Our Facebook group is Policy Forum Pod, and the email is podcast at policyforum.net. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Bye.